Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome back to Not Another Bitcoin Podcast with Ken Bozak. Today I'll be speaking with Ryan X. Charles of the Yours Network, yours.org, or formerly known as DAT, Decentralize All the Things. I'll be co-hosted by, believe it or not, host number three of the mother show, the Bitcoin podcast, Corey Petty. Me and Dr. Corey Petty will be speaking with Ryan X. Charles about yours.org and other current events like Segregated Witness, Segwit2x versus User Activated Software 148, and we can even dig in and dive into Craig Wright claiming to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Although we all know that D from the Bitcoin podcast is this, is Satoshi Nakamoto, and um, he proved that he's Satoshi just by saying so, which is basically as much as Craig Wright did. Anyway, this interview digs into yours.org and everything that the social network has to offer, the, the medium with a paywall, what it has to offer to the users, the content creators, the curators. Yours.org is awesome, and I love the project, and I'm sure after this interview, you will too. So, without putting any more delay or effort into prolonging this, I'm going to go ahead and cue that intro song everybody's so fond of, and we can dive deep into the main attraction, Dr. Corey Petty, Ryan X. Charles, and me, talking about all things crypto. So let's go ahead and cue that intro music now. In early 2011, it piqued my interest. Well, my name is Craig Grimes, and I first encountered Bitcoin when it was $3. My name is Cody Spearing. Um, I'm currently involved in Ethereum mining. What's up, though, man? What's up? How goes it, Kim Bozic? <laughs> How goes it, Trevon James? When I first saw your video, I felt so like, damn, my shit looks terrible. Like, yo, <laughs> yo this guy, this guy's great. He's going places. My name is Ryan Strauss. I'm a Bitcoin evangelist. I first like found out about Bitcoin in 2012 and pretty much becomes your entire life once you really uh get into it there hello everyone i'm uh brandon rosano i uh am new to philadelphia and this east coast side of things i'm luciano luciano valdez well funny story about that is uh, i think it was host number two Demetrius, that reached out to you initially and then he was telling me about silly stoner ken and how he's like passionate about bitcoin and i was like man this dude i don't know about this guy Hey, how goes it? Ken Bozak from thebitcoinpodcast.com here to talk about Bitcoin and Bitcoin accessories. And today I'm here to talk about Bitcoin with uh, host number Trace of the Bitcoin podcast. Uh, Dr. Corey Petty will be co-hosting if you wanted to say hi. What's up, guys? Host number three, Bitcoin podcast. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining. Uh, we are going to be speaking with Ryan X. Charles of yours.org. Uh, Ryan, if you don't mind, uh, please introduce yourself to my audience and let them know who you are, how you got into Bitcoin and what you do in the industry, please. Sure. So uh, I'm a co-founder and CEO of yours, yours.org. Uh, it's like Medium with a paywall. It's a social blogging platform where people can post content and they can put a micropayments paywall inside their content. So for instance, you could charge 10 cents uh, for an article. Uh, so I've, I've uh, been in the space for a long time. I go all the way back to 2011 when I first discovered Bitcoin. I was getting a PhD in physics at the time. And I was just really fascinated with Bitcoin. And I, I thought it was remarkable technology with a huge potential to 
you know, to change the world. I thought this could be the foundation of a future world financial system. Uh, so fast forward a couple of years, I ended up uh, ultimately leaving my PhD uh, to pursue Bitcoin full time. And I worked at uh, three different companies before ultimately starting my own company. I worked at BitPay as a software engineer. I worked at BitGo as a software engineer. And I worked at Reddit as the cryptocurrency engineer. Uh, so I had a sort of a diverse experience doing a lot of uh, sort of consumer-facing uh, Bitcoin wallets uh, before sort of uh, ultimately trying to trying to bring Bitcoin to a mainstream audience, which is how we ended up uh, building our, our uh, yours.org. Uh, speaking of, uh, obviously speaking of yours.org, uh, what started as Decentralize All Things, now known as yours uh, you, or the yours network, uh, could you do me a favor and maybe give us an origin story of how uh, that became to be known as, you know, what we know now as yours.org? Sure. So, so I worked at Reddit from about uh, it was 2014 to 2015. And I was actually only there for about four months, uh, which is a very short time to work uh, anywhere. Uh, what happened was when I was working at BitPay, I got contacted by a recruiter at Reddit. And uh, I thought, well, okay, this is just really interesting. Uh, Reddit is hiring a cryptocurrency engineer. Um, huh, there's a lot of potential to bring cryptocurrency to Reddit. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, just think of all the things we could do there. So I, I interviewed there and ultimately decided to leave BitPay and join Reddit. And I reported directly to the CEO whose name is Yishan. Uh, but there was sort of unrelated turmoil going on at Reddit at the time. And the CEO, Yushan, resigned after I was there for about a month and a half. So what ended up happening was uh, my project stopped making any sense at the company after Yushan resigned. Uh, it was the, the new leadership that ended up taking over the company had their hands full with all sorts of other things. So I had to sort of shelve what I was doing and ultimately had to leave the company just based on the direction of, that, that they were going in did not involve cryptocurrency. Uh, so fast forward several months to the summer of 2015, and about a little less than two years ago, I wrote an article called Fix Reddit with Bitcoin. And this was while Reddit was going through this sort of community backlash. Uh, so it's a long story, and I don't even you know, there's so many, so many details to share, and I, I frankly forget most of it because there was so much that was going on at Reddit at the time. But there was a whole lot of turmoil. And it ultimately, like, reached this crescendo where it revolted against the company. And so there was a period of a couple weeks uh, in the summer of 2015 when a bunch of the major subreddits would voluntarily shut themselves down uh, in protest against the company. And this ultimately led to the CEO at that time, whose name was Ellen Powell, who took over after Yushan left. She had to resign in the midst of all this turmoil. And they brought back Steve Huffman. And so I wrote this article called Fix Reddit with Bitcoin in the midst of all this turmoil. And the idea that I sketched out in this article was, well, what we need to do is we need to solve, you know, you know this, these problems that Reddit has using, you know, decentralization. Let's create a decentralized Reddit that's powered by monetization to get everyone paid uh, appropriately for doing all these functions, things like moderating. If you're a moderator, you should be paid. People that host content, if you're hosting it, you're the person delivering it because it's decentralized, you should earn money. And, of course, the people that create content, uh, they should earn money. I mean, they shouldn't just be posting stuff for free on somebody else's server and not being paid anything. They should be paid for the work. So that was the idea that we sketched out or I sketched out in 2015. 
Uh, and uh, I was able to, you know, there's, there were a lot of people that were interested in this on the basis of this article. So we just sort of started a little grassroots community and uh, I, I just attached the label DAT to it, D-A-T-T. And D-A-T-T stood for Decentralize All the Things, uh, which is just a meme in the, in the sort of Bitcoin and, and decentralization world. So it was called DAT at first. And at first it was basically this open source project uh, that was somewhat, uh, you know, sort of lacking in direction. And uh, it's a long story, but eventually I decided to get serious about turning it into a company we rebranded to yours because yours is uh, easier to understand uh, to anybody. Uh, not everybody understands the meme decentralized all the things that was kind of a Bitcoin in joke, but a mainstream audience can understand what the word yours means. Uh, it, if it belongs to you, it's yours. It's your content. It's your money. It's your community. So it's yours. So it, it, it was a name that uh, you know meant something more to a mainstream audience. Uh, I got a co-founder whose name is Clemens Lay, who's one of the contributors to the project going all the way back to the beginning. We ultimately, you know, we incorporated, we ended up raising money and all that. Um, so a little bit more to the story. Uh, I'll give you a little, so that's sort of the origins. Uh, the uh, more recent history after Clemens and I started working together was, well, we, we realized it was actually incredibly hard to make everything fully decentralized. And we thought, okay, well, what's the most important problem we want to solve? Uh, we decided to focus on what we call the content monetization problem. Let's first focus on just getting creators paid. Uh, and uh, if we can do that, we can start doing all these other things. So we can start getting curators paid and moderators paid and hosts paid. But let's put that on the back burner for now and just make something that gets creators paid. And to do this, we knew we needed micropayments. So, uh, and for legal reasons, we needed non-custodial micropayments. That is to say, the company shouldn't be in possession of the user's funds. And this is a question we've revisited uh, sort of a number of times uh, throughout our company's history, right? because it's so much harder to make it peer-to-peer uh, that we question ourselves on this. I even tweeted it recently and asked our users whether we, they wanted us to sort of continue doing it this way. And they do. Uh, and for legal reasons, uh, we, we basically have to. Uh, that is to say, you know, over the past uh, something like 15 months that we've been working on this, almost all of our effort has been on making our payments appear. So the users, uh, you know, send small amounts of money directly to each other for zero fees. This uh, has been the bulk of our effort making that possible. Uh, so uh, let's see. So to, uh, then to conclude, we, uh, we launched our alpha recently. It's like Medium with a paywall. It is available on yours.org. Uh, so it's, it's live now. That's, we only launched the alpha a few weeks ago. Uh, and we have uh, you know, a number of people that are you know, posting content and, uh, and uh, you know, paying each other and whatnot. And you'll notice there are a lot of bugs. So our priorities right now are basically just fixing uh, all the bugs that we have and, uh, so that we can start uh, getting to the point where we can implement some of the other uh, payment models. Yeah, so I, 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 I've been a follower of yours for quite a long time. Um, and I was curious because I, I knew that basically what was keeping you from launching a while ago was creating this, this Lightning Network-esque micropayments platform that allowed people to send very small amounts of money without any fees, which was necessary because previously you were built on Bitcoin. And as the fee market rose and 
sending transactions or even initiating micro payment channels on Bitcoin became prohibitively high for small amounts of tips, you made the transition over to Litecoin. And I was curious about like the decision making of that transition and as well as the aftermath of that decision, because because the push of SegWit in Bitcoin took so long, which kept pushing you back into releasing something. Um, the enablement of SegWit on Litecoin enabled you to say, okay, we can get started. And since SegWit also, or since Lightning and SegWit on Litecoin is just inherently cheaper because the market cap is cheaper, transactions are cheaper on Litecoin, it is a better utility for the type of platform you're trying to build. So like, can you walk us through kind of the decision-making to go there and how you feel about that decision afterwards. And so sure. from, for other people trying to make that same decision, what can they, what can they expect when, when making that leap of faith? Yeah. So uh, I'll give a little bit more detail to the story because we did not make this decision lightly. We were as pro Bitcoin as it gets as a business. And I'm also personally pro Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I used to be a Bitcoin maximalist. I, I thought that the altcoins were, were you know, uh, pointless. Uh, that's probably too strong of a word, but it's more like, why does it, why, you know, we need one new form of money for, for, for the future. We need, a, we need something like digital cash. And Bitcoin seemed to fit the bill for most of its history. Um, so let me give a little bit more of the story. So in early of last year, you know, Clemens and I start working on this full-time together. We're getting serious about bringing it to business. But well, we need micropayments. Bitcoin, when we started, uh, was about uh, it was about $0.05 cents for a transaction, which seemed very high at the time. That was actually a lot higher than it had been. And we thought, well, if the content's only going to be like $0.10, cents, a $0.05 cent fee is extremely high. So let's implement this lightning network-type technology uh, based on payment channels so that the fees are zero while still maintaining, uh, you know, the, the peer-to-peer aspect of that. So we, it took all this time to build. It took a long time. I think it maybe took about six months to have like a test net prototype. It took maybe another six months for it to be working well enough that we could use it with real money. Um, we uh, got very close to launching on Bitcoin, but what happened along the way was Fees on Bitcoin got so high that, uh, you know, it became difficult even to just onboard a user. So here are, here are the numbers. Uh, on Bitcoin, it costs something like the latest number, I haven't checked today, but as of yesterday or two days ago, it's about $2 for a Bitcoin transaction to confirm in, in one or two blocks. Um, opening a payment channel and closing, it takes about three transactions total. It can take as many as five, depending on how you count it. But let's just say it's three. That's a minimum. That includes opening it and closing it. So that's $6. So that means if you open a payment channel for $10 and your payments are predominantly one way, that means the fees are six divided by 10. Well, that's 60%. That's a huge final fee uh, for a $10 payment channel. It also means you can't open a $1 payment channel because that would be that wouldn't even cover the fees. So it really means you got to open like a $50 payment channel or $100 payment channel, even a $100 payment channel. Well, that would be a 6% fee, which is actually not competitive with Stripe or PayPal. So you'd actually have to open like a $200 payment channel to be competitive with Stripe or PayPal, which is about 3%. So the fees on Bitcoin got so high that even when you're in the system, the fees are low. 
But just getting a user into the system and out of the system became really expensive. Um, so just for reference, I mean, just consider that if you sign up for any other social media website, you don't normally have to pay $6 just to join. And it's not like that money goes to the company. It just goes to Bitcoin miners, right? It's pretty expensive to just begin using the app. Um, so fees got so high, we had to start looking around for an alternative. Now, again, a little bit more story here. We actually don't use SegWit. So it's a bit of a misconception that we switched to Litecoin, that Litecoin uses SegWit. We actually made a decision early on uh, when we started building this technology on Bitcoin uh, not to use SegWit because SegWit wasn't in Bitcoin yet. Uh, and we wanted to make sure we could launch. We didn't know how long it would take for SegWit to, you know, to go live. So we decided to uh, implement everything in a way that doesn't use SegWit. So this basically means I could go over it, but it's slightly worse. Uh, it has a few properties that would be better if only we could use SegWit. But it's not that much worse. Uh, the users won't really notice so long as the fees are, are low. Um, so the real reason why we switched to Litecoin wasn't because of SegWit. It was it was because the fees on Litecoin are so much lower uh, that it makes a huge difference. So on Litecoin, a transaction is something like I don't know, it's three or five cents. Uh, I, it varies a little bit. You know, the price of Litecoin is up to you, and the way their fees are calculated is slightly different than Bitcoin, but. Roughly speaking, Litecoin is about 50 times or 100 times cheaper than Bitcoin uh, you know, for a transaction. So onboarding a user is, is something like 10 or 15 cents instead of $6. Uh, so it's, it's much, much, much uh, cheaper. Um, so that's it. So that's why we switched. And you know, with respect to sort of how we feel about it and, and why, and so, I mean, you know, we, we didn't really have a choice. So we, we kind of, we're getting close to launch and we're like, gosh, we can't require that our users spend $6 and open a $100 payment channel. And that's way, way too high. They'd have to deposit $100. Plus we have bugs. So like, that'd be a disaster if someone lost $100. I mean, if they, you know, it'd be so much better if they put a dollar on there and they lose a dollar. I mean, not that that's good, but it's a lot better to lose only $1 instead of $100 if there's a bug. We, you know, we, we didn't really have a choice. We had to look around. We chose Litecoin because it was uh, so similar to Bitcoin that it was easy to switch to. So it had all of the features that we needed from Bitcoin, including uh, check sequence verify, which is a new op code that uh, didn't exist uh, in Bitcoin until recently. Uh, and it does exist in Litecoin. There are, I don't know if there are any other altcoins that have it. Litecoin's the biggest one that has that. So it had all the technical things that we needed. It had the low cost. And so we just didn't really have a choice. So we switched to Litecoin. I wrote an article called Why We Are Switching to Litecoin, which is actually now my most popular article ever. And we actually got a very, very positive response from the Bitcoin community and certainly the Litecoin community for switching because our reasons for switching were so clear that, of course, now you we would be kind of crazy to launch on Bitcoin. I mean, for our purposes, Litecoin is better. Um, I know you get that. <clears throat> I know you get asked this a lot, or I bet you do, but um, I know the viewers are interested. What is your original thoughts of Steemit and your expectations of what they would be by now, as opposed to verse the thoughts of their current state? Yeah, sure. So Steam is actually very close to the original vision of our project. So Steam made something that is a decentralized community. It's based on a blockchain. Um, and they have, you know, they're trying to solve this problem of getting people paid for creating and curating content. 
but they made a, a bunch of decisions that are completely the opposite of a bunch of decisions that we made. Uh, some of their decisions are good and some of them are bad. Uh, so the good ones are things like, well, they were able to uh, basically, uh, without having, uh, building a blockchain is a non-trivial undertaking. Uh, but by not having to build on, a, on an existing one, layer two technology, uh, they were able to get it done and launch faster than we were. So that's a huge, you know, sort of benefit to the way that they were they developed their technologies. They, they just launched faster. Uh, they also made their own coin, and again, this has ups and downs. It made it easier for them technologically. Like it would have been harder probably for them to uh, use an existing coin. I mean, what would they have to make a sidechain or something, which is still to this day kind of speculative. Uh, I think maybe RSK will launch soon, but is probably easier. I think that's why they were able to launch faster. Um, but this, these choices have some downsides too. So one of the, one of the choices they made was to make all the content free so you can view it for free, which is good. And some people like this. Uh, a lot of people like it actually. And it sounds like nice uh, that the content is free. Um, the problem with this though, is that they had to come up with these really sort of, uh, complicated mechanisms to make sure that people got paid. Economics are really hard to understand. And one of the consequences of their complicated economics is that basically they have a few people, something like 20 or so whales that own most of the steam currency. And so when you talk with steam users, this is usually their number one complaint about steam is that, gosh, if I don't make these whales happy or if I make them angry, uh, I don't earn any money. (laughs) So they've, they built a sort of, you know, it's a, I forget what the name of this political system would be, but it's something where, like, the rich people control the platform, uh, which is not something we want to do. We're trying to avoid that. Um, so that's probably the worst problem. Uh, there are a few others just, in, just involving the complexity of the way their uh, payments work. Um, it takes a long time to withdraw. It takes a long time to get your money out of it. Um, our system and our product are very, very different. So... We are based on purchasing content, so the users buy content. You can't see things for free. Um, This is bad in the sense that, you know, oh, gosh, I can't just see everything for free. But it's good in the sense of the information that we get about quality content and so on. And it's good about just giving direct, honest payments to the people that create content. So basically, we believe, and we're still alpha in in our project, but we believe this will create higher quality content, that content that's worth paying for is good. Uh, so this is how you really identify the best content and make sure the right people are being paid in the right amounts is just by buying content from people. Um, and we have a bunch of curation strategies that we'll, we'll add later uh, to highlight content that's worth paying for. Uh, so it's a totally different product. So we'll see uh, how it works out with yours versus Steam. Um, I, they are quite different. Um, I think there's I think there's room for both of them. Um, I don't think Steam is going to work for a lot of people, uh, but I also don't think that yours will work for everyone either. And I think that uh, you know for people that really want their content to be free or for consumers that are unwilling to pay for content, uh, they can use Steam for those things. Uh, they have an issue right now with um, censorship, and uh, I was just curious, how does yours plan on combating uh, plagiarism and things like censorship? Sure. So, uh, you know, so these are, these are uh, two different things. So, you know, let's, we'll talk about censorship first. 
That's it. We we value censorship resistance, um, and I don't know your guys' thoughts on this. Or this is a sort of a divisive de- uh, debate in the Bitcoin community. But I I regard r slash Bitcoin as being censored, and so those of us in the Bitcoin community that uh, and I sort of watched what I consider to be again. I don't you know. Have to feel free to disagree with me if you're on the other side of this debate. Some people say it's well moderated. I don't think it's well moderated. I think it's censored. Uh, but uh, you know, we can see the impact that has had on the Bitcoin community. And, you know, so that's just a data point for those of us in the space. We can see that occurring. But there are countless other examples you can, you can throw out there that, I mean, censorship is bad. We're not trying, we don't want to censor the community. I mean, so the answer here is we got to have good moderation. Uh, so we need to develop mechanisms that allow uh, the users to moderate the platform uh, in a manner that works well. Uh, so I'll give you a couple examples of this. Um, one of the ways to treat uh, censorship on a platform like Reddit would be to let people choose their own mods. So what if you subscribe to you know the Bitcoin subcommunity and you disagree with the actions the moderator is taking and you want to see all of the posts that they have deleted? So from your subjective personal list of moderators you just remove the moderator that you don't like. So the moderators in that case would end up being, they're not like the owners of the subreddit or the community. They are like sort of opt-in, uh, you know, people who filter the content. So that's one of our ideas. Hiring moderators almost. Yeah. Yes. And they could, you could even imagine hiring them. You could even imagine using payments in other ways. You know, you imagine like um, the way it works is, uh, you, when you choose a moderator, you're deciding to give, say, 10% of the payments to them. So there could be a market of moderators. And the better moderators would get more people to, you know, to pick them as the moderator, and then they earn more money. So there are, you could use market mechanisms to try to solve some of these problems. Now, that exists at, the, at a sort of theoretical level we haven't implemented yet. But we have, that's one of our ideas about how to solve this on our platform. Plagiarism is a totally different issue, though. So there are a couple of different ways we are addressing plagiarism. So it kind of does rope into this issue of censorship. Where do you draw the line with respect to deleting things? Um, first of all, as a, as a legal corporation, uh, we will have to delete things that are simply illegal. So if someone uploads a Hollywood movie and we get you know, a DMCA notice, we'll have to take it down. So that's one of the downsides of the. Oh, we're losing. Centralized. Our content storage is centralized. Uh, so, you know, we have to delete some things. But the other thing we're worried about is our users. So, you know, our users uh, might have their copy of content taken by some other user. And this is something that we've talked to you know, many of our users, and they've expressed concern over this. Like, how do you prevent someone from just like buying my article once? and then like reposting it somewhere else and charging for it. So we have a whole bunch of strategies to deal with this. Um, I, I think this is a case where the, the best answer is like a, a collection of different tools. So one of them would be just a flagging system where the people can flag content that's uh, you know, plagiarized. Um, just getting some information from people that this is plagiarized helps clue in you know, other users or the, the company to, you know, the fact that this is plagiarized. Uh, there are other things we can do that are similar to uh, YouTube or uh, other uh, 
social media websites that have uh, some automated tools to detect plagiarism. So you can do things like there are actually databases of some content. So if you're comparing it to say Hollywood movies or you know music, uh, you can look at databases and compare signatures of files and things of that sort. That's pretty sophisticated, but it's one of the sort of the tools in the tool chest. Um, another option is we can do things like when, imagine you link to a YouTube video. We can know whether you are the owner of the account that the YouTube video is posted to. So that way, you know, that's a, just another way to check, like, you know, uh, is it your video or are you just posting somebody else's video? Um, so that just can fit into, you know, this sort of array of different strategies uh, that we can roll out as needed over time, depending on, uh, you know, priorities and when you need uh, to, to solve these problems. So. I've got, I've got something I kind of want to, it's a, it's a bit switching bases here, but so, um, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum have this somewhat inverse relationship with the current price of the asset and the, and the utility, ease of utility of the asset. So like, for instance, as an example, as the Bitcoin price has gone up, the difficulty to use Bitcoin for certain types of applications has gone down because of the fees. Um, and the reason why this isn't the case yet in Litecoin is because the market isn't big enough. The market cap isn't large enough to affect, to have this, to have this effect on the price. How do you see this playing out? If say, for instance, for some reason, a lot of people flow into Litecoin very quickly, artificially or inflating the price of Litecoin, which will then inflate the fees and the underlying and then adversely affect the utility of how they interact with, with yours. Yeah. So that's something we definitely are aware of. Now, uh, uh, basically, Litecoin is so technically similar to Bitcoin. Um, so for the sake of your audience, like the, the differences that matter are there's more Litecoin total. I actually can't remember right now how much more there is. I don't know if you guys know. But there's a little bit more Litecoin total. Sorry? I want to say there's four times more. I think there's four times more because the blocks occur four times more frequently. Yeah. So that's another difference is that the blocks occur every 2.5 minutes instead of every 10 minutes. So I think that I think they might have done it so that the the you know they're basically four times more likely. Um, and then the proof of work is different, and of course it also has SegWit, uh, which Bitcoin does not yet have. But the differences are pretty small, um, and you know that includes the one megabyte block size limit. So even though Litecoin has four times as many blocks as Bitcoin does, uh, each block still has a one megabyte limit, uh, and that means you know you can only fit. You know, uh, well, it's about four times as much as Bitcoin. So that's about if Bitcoin can handle a theoretical maximum of approximately seven transactions per second. Well, it'd be about 28 transactions per second on Litecoin, theoretical maximum. Um, now, what the relationship to the price is, uh, uh, you know, uh, I would consider that a conjecture. Like, uh, it does seem likely to be the case that the, the, the price either causes, uh, you know, uh, increased volume or vice versa. Uh, so the you know uh, uh, and then therefore you know, we're, you know why are there fees? Uh, well, uh, you know when blocks get full, uh, there's some type of fee market that develops where you know you have to basically pay more to get your transactions in the block. But in any case, the point is that we're not there yet on Litecoin, but we will be. There. I mean, it's definitely going to be a problem if Litecoin is successful. If it's more widely used, we're going to be in the ba- in the exact same situation with Litecoin we are today with Bitcoin. So that is a problem. 
Uh, and a lot of people thought we were crazy for switching to Litecoin because you're like, but Litecoin has the same problem Bitcoin has. But that's only true in theory. Um, the reality is right now, Litecoin transactions are 100 times cheaper than Bitcoin. So the, the current reality is that Litecoin solves the problem we have of lowering the onboarding and offboarding costs for users. Uh, long term, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. Um, hopefully this problem will be solved on Bitcoin and Litecoin can just copy the answer, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. Uh, could be that there are innovations on Litecoin that don't occur on Bitcoin. Uh, you know, SegWit, SegWit could relieve the pressure to some extent. So actually Litecoin's blocks, now that it has SegWit, and Bitcoin doesn't. Um, not only does Litecoin have four times as many blocks, but the capacity of each block is higher thanks to SegWit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe there could be further innovations on Litecoin that, you know, that make this a non-issue over time. I'm not really sure. Uh, we'll just see. Yeah. <laughs> long-term, long-term, it's either going to be solved or we're going to be in the same exact situation we are on Bitcoin. So I don't know. But either way, we didn't really have a choice because the fact that we are eventually going to have this problem on Litecoin was not a sufficiently compelling reason to make our users have to pay a, a lot of money to stay on Bitcoin. So it's still a theoretical problem at this day. Uh, and hopefully it'll be solved, and we're, we'll try and insofar as we can, and we'll try to help solve that problem on Litecoin if, if we can. I'm not sure what we'll do, but it's something that we can look into and see if there's a way we can contribute in some way. Uh, but either way, I mean, I think if Litecoin is successful, it'll have the same problem. Uh, the best I can say is that we have more time to figure that out uh, before that happens on Litecoin. What I want to point out is, like, I guess another important aspect of that, I guess if you were the proverbial kick it down the can or kick the can down the road is that um, you're able to actually do something right now. You're able to launch your platform. You're able to build your, your community, your audience and really grow the utility of the currency as opposed to speculation of future utility, which what I would argue is the majority of the use current use of cryptocurrencies right now. And I am for anybody who's actually building something that can be used that enables people to do things they couldn't do before, which is, I think, your goal, your underlying goal in switching over to Litecoin is we can get started quicker and build the things that get used quicker if we switch over, which is what you're doing. Yeah. I like that idea. I mean, I, I like the idea of being proactive. Um, you know, what, what would be an absolute disaster would be to see the same divisive debate occur on Litecoin, it's occurring on Bitcoin right now. I mean, surely the fact that we can watch this unfold on Bitcoin uh, for the Litecoin community is a way to anticipate this and try to be proactive about solving it beforehand. Um, with respect, so we're still pro-Bitcoin though. In fact, actually an interesting fact, so we, we have to hold cryptocurrency for our technology to function because we have to fund payment channels to creators. So we hold Bitcoin and actually, to this day, so we had to buy Litecoin to be able to fund our channels uh, you know, to, to Litecoin users, but we actually kept more Bitcoin than Litecoin. So our business actually still owns uh, Bitcoin, and we actually still own more of it than Litecoin. Uh, so we are we have an interest in, in, a, in a financial sense of solving this problem on Bitcoin too, at least insofar as it impacts the price. I mean, some people think that the price can just keep rising even with this problem on Bitcoin. But anyway, I mean, look, uh, you know, I think that the, the way to do it, we are proactive in the scaling debate. Um, I was at a conference last weekend where, you know, I'm, I'm a passionate supporter of 
uh, on-chain scaling. Uh, even though we developed this off-chain technology, we think the block should have greater capacity to lower the onboard and offboarding costs for users. Uh, and, uh, you know, insofar as we are able to, we're trying to contribute not just to the, the uh, you know, the arguing on, on social media, but also uh, you know, to, the, to the theory. Uh, and the best we can do right now is basically just uh, sort of uh, give our, uh, you know, uh, unique uh, information about why we switched to Litecoin and why this matters to us and uh, exactly what the issues are. And try to try to help in, insofar as we can, uh, you know, solve the issue both for Bitcoin and for Litecoin, and for that matter, for another cryptocurrency in the future. To touch a little bit on what you said about Litecoin, uh, because of Charlie Lee and all his hard work, the development on Litecoin is a lot more, uh, I'd say, organized than on Bitcoin. So I see that any scaling issue, uh, if they do come up with a very good way of uh, solving that it will be implemented way quicker than anybody could get on Bitcoin. So I feel like the switch to Litecoin was a great idea. Um, I did want to go back to to uh, yours.org, though, and ask, what is the strongest community? I know it's still early, but so far, what is the strongest community and uh, what types of content are earning the most uh, Litecoin? Good question. So we aren't really measuring the payments right now. Uh, so I don't have a good answer to that. I mean, it's alpha, and you can just go there and look at it. Like, there's there are a few pieces of content per day, so it's not like it's some wildly successful project yet. Uh, it is very much in the early stages. Um, when we switched to Litecoin, uh, we definitely got a lot of interest from the Litecoin community, and I haven't checked the front page uh, today. Let me just uh, – I'll sort of look at it in the background as I'm talking here. But uh, the, the content was something like 50, 50% Litecoin, uh, and 50% other stuff. Um, so let's see here. Front page right now is, let's see if I see any Litecoin stuff. I don't really see that, but I do see, I see one post about Litecoin on a, and there's something like 20 pages on the, or 20 posts on the front page. Uh, but there's a lot of other crypto stuff. So we're probably, one of the, one of the metrics we had measured a long time based on the interest on like our mailing list and our Slack channel was that our community seems to be, be about 50% cryptocurrency advocates, and then about 50% other. And other would include things like uh, content creators on social media like YouTube and uh, uh, Reddit, uh, as well as traditional journalists and and just people that come from like a content creator or sort of a a media background of some kind. So cryptocurrency plus media. So we would get them both. And I'd say, roughly speaking, that's probably about what it is based on the content that I can see on here. Uh, so it's 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 right now it's uh, it's very small, uh, with a strong component of cryptocurrency, which I think is actually good because uh, there's there's actually a need for high quality information in cryptocurrency. It's it's actually in many ways the perfect sort of initial audience. Uh, you know, we need a way to identify the best content about cryptocurrency and blockchain technology uh, and surface that content uh, and get people paid for producing good content um, uh, in this industry. Because there's a lot of there's you know, there's a lot of well, there's there's a lot of really good information and there's also a lot of misinformation. <laughs> and so if we can you know curate that content well. Uh, I think we'd be doing a good service. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's fifty percent cryptocurrency, fifty percent other thing. You started out with with this 
initial plan for having a curation model of like maybe uh, paying out the people who give donations, um, like like giving priority to the people who give donations first, so that if you've discovered content early, you're able to make a percentage of the other people that donated after you. Um, and that's not currently how things work. You basically have a, it's, it's it's paywalled information. And so you read a snippet, and then if you'd like to read on for the rest of the remaining part of the article, you can pay a small fee and, pay, and, and earn it. And you know that goes straight to the content creator. Um, I know that these types of models are in your future, but would you have a timeline on the, the features that are coming out or uh, things you're planning on implement and when we can expect something like that? Yeah, totally. So, so with that model, so it was something we call the endorsement model. Part of the reason, there are a few reasons why we didn't do that one first. Uh, one of them is sort of, uh, uh, I guess I'll say, sort of public relations. Because if you draw out how the endorsement model works, it looks like a pyramid. And we're like, no, 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 it's not a pyramid. You don't understand. This is. Like, I, I modeled it thoroughly. Yes, and it's yes you did model it. You did model it, yeah. So, <laughs> but it was really irritating having to defend you know, this model against people saying it's a pyramid. Right. Uh, so part of it was, okay, well, pay, paywall, like everyone understands it. Uh, and there's no public relations problem. So when I describe it as medium with a paywall, everyone gets it. They get that that doesn't currently exist. Even in a mainstream audience that doesn't know anything about cryptocurrency, they get the value in it. They may not think that, they may not love the idea, uh, but they understand it and there's nothing negative about it other than some people don't like the idea of having to actually pay for things. Um, but the endorsement model is, is, it is one of our models that we uh, sort of, uh, I'll call it, uh, we have like a, actually a very long list of payment models. And the, we like that model because it makes it really easy to sort of solve this problem of like motivating people to pay for things because there's always a profit motive. Uh, so if you click that button and you get, uh, you know, there's a chance that you're going to earn money by clicking that button, it makes it more worth clicking. So we like it for that reason. But there's another reason why we didn't do it, which is actually purely technical. The endorsement model involves making a bunch of payments. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for instance, let's suppose you know ten people have upvoted something or they've endorsed it. Uh, and for the, I, I kind of skipped the explanation. I, I guess I'll explain it for your audience because uh, no one probably understands what I'm talking about. So, explain it. So, here's how the endorsement model works. Uh, the first person that clicks a button uh, simply makes a payment to the creator. The next person that clicks the button uh, makes a payment to the creator and to the first endorser. And the third person that clicks the button makes a payment to the creator, to the first endorser, and to the second endorser. So let's imagine it's, the button is like 10 cents. So you, you divide up, you're the third endorser, you divide your 10 cents by three, and you make 3.3 cents you know, to each party. What this means is you can profit. So if you're the first endorser, and then like a thousand more endorsers come and endorse that content, you're going to get a, a whole bunch of really small payments over time from each subsequent endorser. But the technical problem here is that, well, my gosh, that means if it gets a thousand endorsements, you got to make a thousand payments. And actually, our payment system uh, is not ready to handle a thousand payments in a single click. So it's you know we we need to make it so the, the the purchase model is so simple it makes one payment at a time. So there are two reasons why we didn't do it. One is this sort of public relations problem slash uh, uh, being easy to explain to our audience. Purchasing is just simpler, and there's no PR problem. Uh, and then number two, it's just technically it was it was easier to do purchasing. Uh -huh. 
That makes perfectly sense. Do you have do you have an idea on like what you're planning on pushing out next to to kind of expand the feature set of yours? Sure. So first of all, we have really basic things that we have to push out. Like for instance, the ability to edit a post, which you cannot currently edit anything, which is really annoying for those of us that have posted stuff. <laughs> You also can't currently see your own content anywhere. So once your content falls off the front page, unless you save a permalink, uh, you will never find it again. So we have to implement really, really basic things like that next. Next payment model that we like is actually, or at least this is, I would say it's my favorite. I mean, it's kind of debatable. Like, uh, you know, uh, probably what we'll do is we'll resume talking with our users to get their feedback on this. But I'll just say that my personal favorite next is actually what we call the comment model. And I really like the idea of letting the author choose a price for the comments. So on most websites, you know, like I, I like to give YouTube as an example because YouTube has famously low quality comments. Uh, not always, but often. <laughs> Shout out to so, YouTube. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, Imagine, so the way it works on YouTube, you can disable comments. Like if you expect you're going to be trolled for something, you can just turn off comments. So that's like as though you've set a price of infinite. No one can afford to buy a comment if, if you turn them off. Or you, or you, the price is free. That is, anybody can comment. But wh why can't you just set a price of something like 10 cents or a dollar or something like that for people to be able to post a comment? That way you can eliminate the lowest quality comments where somebody comes up and just cusses at you or says something sexist or racist or just trollish to you. Uh, but if, for people that are willing to make a small payment, um, you know, they, so you weed out the lowest quality and keep only the high quality. Uh, the problem with that, of course, is that not everyone wants to pay. I mean, even the high quality comments, uh, you, you, you'll get fewer of the higher quality comments as well if they have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we want to enable people to earn money from that. So what if you, you had to pay 10 cents to the author to post a comment, and the price is set by the author. So let's say they decide it's 10 cents. But what if other people that like your comment can bump your comment up on the page by tipping you? So they just give you an extra you know, uh, you know, a payment of, say, 10 cents or 50 cents or something to the commenter. So you can earn money for creating a good comment if it's the type of comment that other people really like and pay you for it. And there's actually precedent for something like this. This is actually exactly how Reddit Gold works. Um, except, uh, you know, so the way Reddit Gold works is if you really like a comment, you can give gold to someone. And it highlights their comment. It places a little gold icon next to the comment. But the problem with Reddit Gold is that Reddit Inc. gets the money, not the user. Uh, so wouldn't it be cool if you just gave the money directly to the user? Instead of giving them a gold icon, you just gave them the $5. So they earn money for creating a good content. So that's my favorite next model. I'm not sure if that will be the one we add next. Um, uh, it's, but we have that one. We have a, a whole bunch of others. We have 10 or 15 of them that are like all interesting, just like most of them that I have never seen these anywhere. I mean, once you have micropayments in a, in a social app, it's just really fun to start brainstorming all the different ways you can use it. So we have a whole bunch of them. I mean, it's just a matter of, which ones we like best, which one our users like best, and having sort of a, uh, uh, you know, some reasonable, uh, uh, you know, uh, pri priorities, trying to figure out which ones are, are the most important. Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, payment models, how does yours.org get paid? Uh, where do the funds come from? Yeah, so, well, the funds come from the users who have to get funds on the platform somehow. Either you earn funds on the platform directly for creating or curating good content, 
or you have to deposit it. Uh, we aren't integrated with Coinbase yet, but we intend to integrate with Coinbase soon, uh, where you can just buy and sell Litecoin sort of in the app via Coinbase. So they have a nice widget where, for instance, for depositing uh, Litecoin, which most people in the world don't have Litecoin yet. Uh, so you, you can just deposit it with a credit card. Uh, how do we earn money? Uh, actually, right now, we don't earn any money. Uh, we are not, we're taking 0% of transactions, mostly because we're still alpha, and so we feel it's premature to start charging. Uh, but we will take a percentage of payments. So the plan here is we're going to start with, and this is going to sound high to you guys, but it's less for like mainstream social media website. Uh, we're going to start with 20%. So the company will take 20%, users get 80%. Uh, YouTube and, and uh, Amazon takes somewhere in the neighborhood of like 30 to 50% usually. So it's, it's less than most of those. Uh, but we realize this, this seems high to a lot of people. So we realize there's a way we can sort of make it lower over time. If we just grow as a business, uh, things to just scale, uh, we can, you know, uh, our expenses will not grow as rapidly as the users and the number of payments. So, we should be able to lower that percentage over time. You could, you could think of it like Walmart, you know, like Walmart. Uh, I don't know if they still do, but they used to have these ads where they talk about how they lower uh, their prices all the time. So we'll just lower the prices as we can afford to do so and as it makes sense. So we can get the prices down a lot lower, I think, over time. But we'll start with 20%. I wanted to circle back to uh, content on yours. Um Right now, and I hate to keep bringing up my ex, Steam It, but... Um, Right now, what we're seeing on their platform are girls and porn is what's really starting to make a lot of revenue. Um, is that something you don't want to see on yours? Or is that, you know, hey, come on over, make your money, who cares? Or like, because I could see some sort of penthouse open letter type thing where, you know, you, fit, you start reading it, you get into it, you pay for it, you finish your article, there might be a video or a uh, picture below. Or is that just something you don't want to see on yours? Well, personally, uh, I have mixed feelings about this because I am not anti-porn. But at the same time, I would consider it a horrible disaster if our platform was used primarily for porn. So it's like, how do we walk this line? Because porn is actually, you know, it, it's like a logical use case of the technology that, that we built. Always the early um, adopter. Yeah, they're, all, they're early adopters, and it makes sense, you know, for porn. Um, so I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I think if somebody posted porn on there right now, uh, I mean, no one has done that to my knowledge uh, yet. Sorry. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time. Yeah, you're going to give somebody the idea. And they're gonna start <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what have you done? Um, I'll say that uh, the, the, the here's – so I worked at Reddit, and Reddit is actually, you know, uh, actually partially powered by porn. Uh, porn is uh, actually quite popular on Reddit, and Reddit places ads on the porn subreddits. And the way Reddit deals with this is they just don't really make it widely known, but there's a lot of porn on Reddit. You, have, you just have to be specifically looking for it to find it. So it's not like you go to the front page and see that it's plastered with porn, even if porn is popular on Reddit. So they kind of hide it. I'm not sure if we'll take that approach. Here's a different approach. Um, uh, we've also thought about selling the technology to other companies. Ooh. We could imagine selling our technology to a porn company. Now, why would we do that? I mean, again, like, so I have mixed feelings about this. I am not personally anti-porn, but I don't really want that to be the primary use case of yours.org. It's just not how I want to spend my life. It's not a problem. I'm, I'm not trying to solve you know, the porn industry's problem. But it would make sense if we sold our technology to them. 
You know, we could maybe just license the technology and then create, you know, some contract or something where they can use it, you know, for their, for porn, but then they, they can't compete with us if they're using our technology or something. I'm just kind of brainstorming this mm-hmm. as I go here, but, but there are, my point is more like, we're going to try and walk a line where we do not focus on porn, but we're not anti-porn. I mean, if we don't do that, it's, we're just opening up, uh, you know, an opportunity for a competitor. I mean, so I think that we need to, insofar as porn is legal and ethical, uh, we will find a way to accommodate it, uh, you know, in the same way society does, which is it's kind of in a dark corner somewhere, and you don't know it's there unless you're looking for it. I would like to wrap up a little bit about yours, maybe open up an opportunity for some other topics, but I did want to end with um, what's the next step for yours and what's preventing that from happening right now? So let's see, the next step for yours um, – you know, one thing we've been reflecting on a lot is how long it took for us to get here. So we, we the, the project is actually almost two years old in total. And my co-founder and I spent about 14 months just building this micropayments technology. So we're actually throttled by engineering. And so what we're really realizing is we, may, we might be too early for this idea. Um, you know, it, we still have a lot of work ahead of us for just finishing the technology and making it work well. Uh, I would say, I mean, what we're probably going to do is raise more money soon just to hire more engineers to help us finish and make the technology robust and work well. And I'm not even talking about features on the, on the app. I'm just talking about making actual peer-to-peer micropayments work well is really, really hard. And I talked a little bit about, you know, the you know, payment channels and stuff on Litecoin there, there's a lot I could go into that I won't unless you really want to know, but uh, doing this for real client side in a web browser was really, really hard. I mean, there are just a whole bunch of challenges. Um, there is uh, not only is there the protocol of making it, there is the weird advanced JavaScript and web browser web technologies we had to use to make this work are extremely unusual mm-hmm. uh, and took a long time. Uh, and uh, then there's like the, the economics of the app itself. So, the next steps are basically we need to make the payments work well, and then we need to start adding these other monetization features uh, for people. And the thing that's stopping us from doing it more quickly is just 100%. We're just completely saturated with this really hard technical stuff. So we'll have to raise more money and, uh, and hire people to help us. Awesome. All right, so to open up, um, I know uh, Corey wanted to bring this up. So if you'd like, go ahead, man, uh, the Craig Wright scenario. What do you got? No, I wasn't. That's something that I was like passionate about bringing up. I know that Ryan is a is a is a larger fan of on-chain scaling, and as well as um, he attended this the conference that um, Craig Wright gave this passionate speech about, if you will. And you were just just crazy tweet storm of things he was saying as he was saying it, which was gave a lot of us access to, I guess, the content of the talk without being able to see it firsthand. What was your experience there and how do you think it went? Yeah, so the, the conference was really fascinating. I tweeted that it was, it was the best conference I, I'd ever been to, uh, largely because uh, the Craig Wright thing was, was extremely interesting, uh, but it wasn't just that. Uh, I'm an advocate for on-chain scaling, and the, the, the conference was sort of spiraled out of what used to be the on-chain scaling conference, and they made it a little bit more general. But it was a conference that had a good mix of people uh, from sort of both sides of this debate. 
as well as a lot of people that were just kind of interested in Bitcoin and not necessarily clued into the debate. Uh, and so it was comforting for me to see that, okay, you know, there are actually quite a lot of people that agree with this idea of, of on-chain scaling, of let's just increase the block size. Um, so it was really, really fascinating. I had really great conversations with people. Uh, I think the talk that Craig Wright gave, and of course Craig Wright is just uh, uh, <laughs> probably the most, I mean, there's more drama around Craig than I think just about anybody else. Probably he's probably the number one most dramatized person I've seen. I think. Well, when you come out and say you're Satoshi, that's gonna bring drama, <laughs> regardless of whether or not you are, for the rest of your career in in the space. That's, that's, that I don't think you can get away from that from here on out. I'm Satoshi. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I I tried. <laughs> so. Uh, with that stuff aside, if you can somehow mentally compartmentalize that and set that aside, mm-hmm. um, the speech he gave, I am 100% behind the uh, philosophy that he was sketching out. And again, this is just, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to separate this, uh, the drama here from, from you know, the substance. But the substance that I got from Craig Wright is what I bought into. Uh, into Bitcoin back in 2001, brought into in the sense that this is the philosophy that I agree with. Like, this is how I think it should be. So I was very encouraged by his talk, and he gave uh, probably the most, uh, well, certainly the most passion-filled speech at the conference, but also one of the most sort of passionate talks I've seen about scaling on-chain that I think I've ever seen, which I think needs to be heard just given the... uh, uh, you know, the, the way this debate has spiraled out of, you know, uh, you know uh, how can I put this? It's, it's gotten to a point where, here's what I think. I think that it's gotten to a point where actions need to trump words. So the fact that Jihan was there, okay, Jihan is going to take what happened at this conference and he's going to go do something. Jihan meaning, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's owner of the largest uh, yeah. mining company in China, in the world, but he's based in China. Um, so that type of speech is like, uh, we'll see if it influences Jihan. Uh, it might. Uh, I think it's about the only thing you can do, though, at this point to, to influence the miners, right? Like these, you know, that level of passionate argument for on-chain scaling hadn't quite occurred yet. Uh, but now it's, you know, we're going to see in the next couple months, um, I'm going to keep tweeting about this, but I don't think my tweets are going to have much impact. <laughs> I think that the reality is it's basically up to the miners and the businesses, prim- primarily the miners, to just actually act on this information. now. So I really liked the conference. It was really, uh, you know, I loved talking with everyone there. I loved Craig's fiery speech about on-chain scaling, with, which I agree with. I guess probably part of the reason I like it is simply that I agree with it. Uh, and I'm going to be absolutely fascinated to see whatever it is that unfolds. So this is just for the record. This is July the 7th, 2017. We're going to see over the next two months something is going to happen. Because, oh, <laughs> like, this argument is, like, coming to it's, – it's, you know, the crescendo of the argument. And we're going to either hard fork, we're going to get segwit, or we're going to get three chains or something. Something is going to happen. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, what do you side with uh, right now? The uh, Segwit 2x opposed to the uh, UASF BIP 148, or um, you know the unlimited versus core argument? And where you mentioned the three possibilities, where do you think we're more likely to end up? 
So we are supporters of Segwit2x because Segwit2x achieved consensus of the industry. And this is really, really meaningful. Uh, the fact that DCG was able to lead the charge and get a whole bunch of companies, most companies in the space, to agree to something is really, really good. So we agreed with it just to be a part of that consensus. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, and Segwit2x does move us forward. Uh, I think uh, 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 both aspects of it. I think Segwit uh, is primarily useful for solving transaction malleability. I think the 2x increase uh, is also useful for just lowering fees. Now, my mm-hmm. personal opinion on this and the, sort of the stance of our business is just that well, what we really need is lower on-chain fees. Uh, we think we've demonstrated just by building our technology and doing this for real on Bitcoin. And one of the things I didn't mention earlier, but as far as I'm aware, we have, we're the only project to actually perform a routed micropayment on Bitcoin today because we don't need SegWit, like the Lightning Network people. Uh, so I think we have a good deal of credibility to make this argument. I mean, the fees on Bitcoin are so high right now that it's, it's prohibitive to getting new users. So our stance is we really need lower fees. Um, it's not about, um, you know, uh, all these fancy technologies. Uh, it's about lower fees. And you need some on-chain scaling to get lower fees. It can't be solved exclusively with the Lightning Network and segregated witness. Um, now, that's our, our position. That's, you know, there's clear reasons where we come at at this debate. Uh, other people have perfectly valid opinions. Uh, some people value digital gold. Uh, as the most important use case. Well, we value bringing new users into space into the space and solving their problems being really important. That being so, said, like if I could if I could tack onto that, like uh, I guess sure. if I could, like I'm I'm somewhat of a pragmatist in that I my alignment is only where the users and developers go because that's what grows utility and actually grows the network. So, like I don't care what the ideology that underpins the winning chain is as long as there are people building and using the system. Because if you don't have either one of those two things, then you don't have a system regardless of how strong your ideology is or how much, how, how strong your belief system is. If you don't have people building, then nothing's going to happen. So like whatever happens, I'm just going to follow the one that everyone else goes to because that's where everyone else is. And Bitcoin and blockchain technologies are solely fundamentally about building communities and people. And if you don't have that, then you don't really have anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think users matter. I think, you know, what you said, I'll just put a, put a phrase on what you just said, Corey. I think network effect is really important. Uh, the one that people use uh, is really important. Uh, technical details aside, I mean, just that people are using it is a really meaningful uh, property. So I, I totally agree with that. I think that would be a good time to wrap things up unless uh, you guys have anything you just wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to bring up. Uh, Corey, uh, Ryan, anything? I guess I have one more quick question because it's, it's springboards off of this. Um, how do you plan to grow your network effect? Because that's a very large portion of having a, a, a media platform, a content platform, yeah. is you need people to go there and read the content if the content creators are going to make any money whatsoever. Yeah. So I think there are, there are two answers to that. First of all, I think if we actually succeed in our mission of having the best content on the internet, uh, that's, that's by itself is going to work to, uh, to bringing more people onto the platform. 
Uh, with that being said, there's, that doesn't really answer the question, like how do we get all these new people and whatnot to begin with? Um, uh, there are a bunch of standard things you can do, like directly reaching out to people, which, which we have done and we will continue to do to just try to pitch them on the, on the project. But we have uh, one of our payment models is something we call the affiliate model. Uh, this is our what we call the uh, sort of the, the virality option for our <laughs> platform. Wouldn't it be cool if after you have bought a piece of content, you can share your affiliate link to that content and earn 10% or perhaps the percentage is decided by the author. Um, that gives you a reason to share content because you can earn money for it. And if you share it, you have to actually share it with people that actually follow through and buy it. Uh, in order to earn money. So you have to share it with the right people. Um, we think that option uh, is a way to grow the platform when we are ready to grow. So we want to make sure we solve all these technical problems and make the product we're fine and, and whatnot. But when we're ready to like turn on virality, uh, we'll implement the affiliate model. Uh, we have other models as well that are, that are similar to that, but that one is, uh, I think, the most straightforward growth payment model. Or to put it differently, uh, you know, we're going to incentivize our users uh, to share content by earning money. All right. One of my last questions, uh, it's definitely one of the most frequent I get. Um, and I was just curious on, both of you feel free to answer this. Uh, what software wallet do you use? Why or hardware wallet? And uh, which one do you recommend for people who plan on holding Bitcoin through August 1st? I'll let you go first, Corey. Um, I guess that depends on how much money you have and what your risk associated with that money is. Like if you want to hold for a long period of time, like at, at bar none is make sure you have your private keys. You need to have access to your private keys so that what, whatever happens, you still have the coin and you can load it on whatever chain you feel wins. If you keep your private keys on a custodian, a service that takes custodian of your, of, of your coins then you're relegated to the choices they make on what chain they choose. So if you would like to have an opinion on what coin you'd like to use or what you think the winner is, you need to have your private keys. That being said, use whatever wallet allows you to have your private keys. I personally use paper wallets for large amounts of money and jacks for keeping multiple current, multiple small amounts of currencies. It just, it depends on what your risk is to those currencies, but bottom line, make sure you have your private keys and store them securely. I, I 100% agree with that, uh, Corey. I think uh, it, it's it's one of the wonderful properties of this currency. Uh, you can have your private keys, which is not true when you have you know dollars in a bank account, right? So it's it. This is how you really properly possess your digital cash uh, by having private keys. Uh, with that said, so I use a couple different wallets on my phone. Uh, I, I use both Mycelium and uh, Copay. Uh, I also use a uh, both a uh, so those are for like smaller amounts of money. Um, for larger amounts of money, I use both a Ledger and a Trezor. These are two different uh, uh, hardware wallets. So I recommend all of the above. I mean, those are all four That's of those. Great. I would say are high quality wallets: uh, Copay, uh, uh, Mycelium, uh, Ledger, and Trezor. All of those. Awesome. Uh, yeah, for solidarity, I uh, guess I'll tell everybody or everybody already watching knows, I guess. But um, I use Coinbase for spending. I use Jax for my multi cryptos and I use my Ledger Blue for my 
bulk holdings, which I had uh, on. Um, they said that they will be you know, ready for whatever scenario happens, they'll be ready for their users, uh, Ledger. So hopefully that's true because I'm banking on that. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, don't forget, you can check us out on the BitcoinPodcast.com network. Uh, there I have my uh, my podcast, not another Bitcoin podcast with me. Uh, Corey is host of the mothership, the mother show, uh, the Bitcoin podcast. Uh, you can find us at the BTC podcast on Twitter. Uh, Ryan, you want to let everybody know where they can find you, your content and more information from you. Sure. I'm, I'm sort of all over the place. Probably just visit my website, RyanXCharles.com. You can see all my links to social media. And of course, our company is yours.org. So please visit us at yours.org and, and check out our app. All right. Thank you, everybody, for stopping by, watching live. And thank you, everybody, for listening on Not Another Bitcoin Podcast with Ken uh, on the BitcoinPodcast.com network. All right, guys. Thank you and have a day. Later, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. This was awesome. Nice talking to you.